Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Special edition of PFTPM, and I'm delighted to be joined today by the brand new general manager of the Minnesota Vikings, he's Kwesi Adolfo Mensa. Congratulations on the job, Kwesi, and thanks so much for some of your time. How's everything today in Minnesota? No, uh, it's been great, man. We got to go today and, and talk to some kids at schools. You know, you think about this job and, and, and how fortunate we all are. And, you know, I got kids coming to ask for my autograph. And, you know, four months ago, I don't think anybody would ask for my autograph. And I probably would have told them today, like I would have told them four months ago, you don't need my autograph. But um, it's really cool to connect with kids, talk about, you know, reading and how important that is. I think about my own journey. You know, my mom, knew how much I loved to read and loved sports. So she made sure I had a Sports Illustrated for Kids, uh, you know, issue my whole life growing up. And just uh, thinking about all those things was, was great today. So I'm having a great day, man. Well, and it is amazing in Minnesota, the bond between the team and the fans and the passion that the fans have and the desire that they have to finally, number one, get back to the Super Bowl and number two, finally win one. Have you sensed that that you've since you've been there, just how strong that is, that desire, that urge to finally get a trophy? Without question. You know, the first thing I noticed when I got here, and I'll be honest, I've lived on the coast most of my life. So, you know, I, I didn't really know, but like they love football. First and foremost, they love ball here. And this is it this thing is in, you know, profoundly impacted on you the second you get here. And yeah, you know, I, I got a t-shirt. I think somebody mailed me one once before I die. Uh, so, you know, that, 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 that message is pretty clear, but I'll be honest with you. You don't come to these jobs just to be a, I don't, I have no goal, dreams of being a general manager. I have dreams of being a great general manager on a team that does something special. So I don't really back down from those expectations. That's why we're here. And if I'm not able to do it, I won't be here long enough, but uh, you know, that's, that's the goal. Um, we're, we're all in it together with that mindset. Um, we set our standards every year to be one of those teams in the dance to give yourself a chance to, to win it all. And if you're not doing that, you're not, you're not, you're not here for the right reason. As someone with a non-traditional background before landing in this business, I always love a good non-traditional background story. Let's walk through what you did after finishing up college and how the dominoes eventually fell to lead you into a career in football. Sure. Uh you know, I first, uh, I started out in a commodities group. So at Morgan Stanley, uh, a ton of family still for, uh, from those early days, had a really close analyst class that are some, some of my closest friends to this day. Uh, but I worked in a commodities group uh, with a couple of uh, great friends of mine. Uh, and, and so what we did was we traded sulfur dioxide and nitrous oxide, uh, the Clean Air Act, which basically regulated how much we can pollute uh, through power plants. And so Starting with that, really, it kind of it gives you a practical implementation of all these things you learn in economics, supply and demand and scarcity and all these different things. And really learning to do that with stakes. You know, I always tell people like these jobs are all very similar. What makes you what makes me me, I think, is because I had that experience where I was able to make decisions and lose and lose very quickly. 
right? And so like you get a scorecard very quickly that night that says, hey, Quasi, it's time to get better at what you're doing. And that ultimately allowed me to really improve my process, learn about decision-making and human psychology and all these different things. Uh, so I start, you know, I, I took that career, obviously uh, going from emissions trading kind of led me more towards electricity and natural gas. So I was really ge a general energy trader. Uh, then we eventually, eventually broke off into a hedge fund uh, right before uh, grad school. Uh, you know, I went to grad school because I had a passion for teaching and still do. Uh, I loved, I think, because I'm like a learner, I, I just love learning things. And I'm always so grateful to the people that teach me things. I've always wanted to give that back to other people. So that's what led me to become, want to become an econ professor, you know, wear my tweed jacket, glasses, that whole, that whole, whole deal. Um, it was a, I was at grad school that I was really obviously super, always been interested in sports and thought maybe, hey, this would be a cool thing to do on the side. I didn't really think it was a, a career because to be honest, it's hard to get into the NFL, right? The NBA or whatever these sports are, you, you don't know a path in. Uh, as I was in school, I was really fortunate. I have a, a close friend who works in a, a front office in, in baseball, and he connected me with somebody who happened to be working in football. And honestly, I wish I could tell a, a story where I, I wrote 32 letters and then did that whole thing. It was just unbelievable timing, unbelievable good fortune. Um, all I can do is pay back that good fortune by working as hard as I can. So was there a desire specifically to get involved in football until things just kind of lined up the way that you get a general sports interest and there wasn't a preference as to which one, how did that spark happen to connect you into the NFL? It was football, you know, for, for, for two reasons. So I played basketball. And so I knew that my value add to any team was the math, right? I was an econ guy. I was an econometrics quant, quant guy, but I still have some sense in me basketball wise that I think I know more than, I do. And whereas football, I was kind of a clean slate, right? I, I and I loved the game since I was a very young kid, but I never played it at a high level. So coming in, it was kind of like, hey, my job is to be the football economist and nothing else. And so I always thought that that was the best way to enter. Also, I think football is just way more of a fun problem to solve because it's so complex. It's never going to be solvable. Um, and that is really what intrigues me. Baseball, you know, because of the interaction between pitcher and hitter and all those things, it is like mathematically, there is a lot more you can do in it. Where I think here in football, there's a lot of creativity involved. A lot of a lot of it depends on what assumptions you're making, connecting with coaches, learning more about the game. So I think that always intrigued me that it was so complex and probably something that'll never be solved to, to perfection. So you show up working for the San Francisco 49ers 2013. What's your mindset the day you've, you, you, you have this dramatic career change? Yeah. What, what are you thinking as you launch into this new existence? You know, they had just been to, you know, multiple NFC championship games in a row. They're three months after a Super Bowl. So my mindset was coming in and learn. You know, I think everybody thinks that they're going to, you know, that you read these books, Moneyball and all these things, and I'm going to come in and show them how to do you know, to change the world. And, and I actually knew coming in, that was probably the best thing for me. I knew that I wasn't going to help them with anything, uh, if anything, that they were going to teach me. And so that's the mindset I went in. And there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of different dynamics that come with that. You know, I left a career where I was pretty high up and then I go out in front of the 49ers front office and I'm sitting in the opening, opening area. I don't have an office, you know, I'm, you know, I'm running and grabbing coffee and I'm doing those things. And I always approach those things with humility. I don't think anybody's too good to do anything. Um, I approached it the same way I approached it my first days on Wall Street when I was, you know, everybody at Jamba Juice knew my first name because I went there twice a day to get orders for everybody. And I took the same mindset. And that's ultimately what got me here. And you've mentioned football economics and mathematics. And at some point that intersects with personalities, strong personalities, big personalities, 
all sorts of different types of human beings that need to be managed in a certain way. How do you reconcile the two? I'm skipping ahead, but I'm going to backtrack at some point. But where you are now, how do you reconcile an objective approach to football with the inherently subjective reality of all the different people that go into making up a football team? No question. You know, I, I think I think when people hear the term analytics or quant or all this stuff, I think they or even data, they get that a little mis mistaken. A subjective opinion, a subjective stance can be made into an objective process, right? So if I watch film and I say good every time a player does something good, if I do that in a structured way and I count how many times they say good, that all of a sudden is an objective process. So you can always make the subjective objective. Um, so in terms of process, I think those two, two things naturally flow together. When you talk about the personalities, I do think that's where some of the dynamic of just I don't know. I was in a fraternity. I was in, you know, I've played on sports teams. I know that two plus two doesn't always equal four. I know in my own career, you know, I was, a, I played basketball and like I could shoot, but I was not a shooter. There are different, there are different definitions, right? So I knew when I missed two shots that I was, I wasn't as confident and I wanted to pass the ball. So I kind of knew the emotional aspect that goes into those things. I knew that it wasn't this perfect equation that could be solved. And honestly, I learned that also from the people around me, you know, I was around great coaches, great, you know, listening to stories from John and, and Martin Mayhew and all those guys just tell me about their locker room and the dynamic. And you hear terms like dogs and things like that. And you call up some of your friends with, Oh, okay, that's you. They're talking about you. And you kind of, you know, assess it to your life and, and kind of paint yourself a clear picture that helped me get to where I am. The typical general manager path is scout who grinds film and goes to all of the colleges, big, small, and everywhere in between, and just does that over and over and over again and works his or her way up through the ranks and eventually is in position to be a GM. You have not just a different background, but a different path to the GM role. Have you along the way picked up the, the scouting skills, or is that something you're going to defer and delegate to folks on your staff? Well, first, when you say scouts grind film, I was grinding data, but if, at the end of the day, you're grinding information. You know, film is the, you know, I would argue the best information about a player. I was grinding somebody else's subjective data about that film, right? So we're, we're, we're kind of doing the same thing in a way, just, you know, I may be using a computer program, they're using their eyes and taking notes. Uh, but so that's not really anything different. Allowing me to view the, viewing the game the way I got to view the game allowed me to kind of learn how to scout because then now you get to see, hey, mathematically, this is what is happening, for example. And then now I got to go teach myself using that very film. Um, and then also, I just, I was so fortunate, you know, John, John and Kyle brought me under their wing when I got there, uh, when they got there. So I get to sit in the draft room. And if you think about that draft room I was in back then, you know, there's a Sala, there's a McDaniel. These are before everybody knew their names, but there's a LaFleur, there's Adam Peters, Rand Carthon, all these names that you all know now. And they're just, we're just in a dialogue room. We're just throwing stuff at the wall. And I'm the type that if somebody says something I don't know, I write it down and it's my job to go figure out what they meant. Um, and I, and again, I had some, was so fortunate to have people be my mentors. So that's how I started to pick up the scouting element of it. But look, I'm not, if I, if, if I'm the best scout in our building, I'm doing it wrong. I want to have people that are way better than me at that. I just need to know enough about what they do so that I can ask them questions so I can understand their logic and things like that. At the risk of getting you to delve into proprietary processes, I'm just curious. And I think anyone listening to this would be curious just for an, a, a tangible example. When you talk about mathematics and scouting, 
identifying players. Can you give us an idea of just how a formula is constructed, what the factors are, how you go from mathematics into an ideal profile for a player you may be looking at at a given position? Sure. I mean, it's it, it runs the, the, the equations, quote unquote, the equations we use are no different than the equations that a scout would use in their head. So, right, they're watching a player and they've watched 10 years of players before. And in their head, there's some sense of, hey, the good players that eventually end up in the NFL have this number of plays where they show this trait. So let's say it's a receiver and they, they know that this receiver runs by somebody once a game. Right. And so they know that everybody that, that's come through in the past that had that level um, eventually became a good NFL player. So it's some level of counting. Right. We talk about math, but it really is just counting, adding things like that that are going on in your head. Fast forward, we do the same thing where we go back and study information that we had in the past and say, hey, what is that threshold? What is that? What is the number of plays that hinted towards somebody being good in the future when we're watching in the past? Really, that's that's all it is. It's I wish it was more complicated than that. It's not. Um, I think it's just the reason it gets this this different marketing spin is we can translate those ideas into a computer program like R or Python or Excel or whatever you use. But I could talk through those ideas the same way with the scout who's been doing it for 10 years. It's no different. You mentioned the receiver position, and there are some strange dynamics occurring right now in the NFL. And it's it's fascinating. The different attitudes, the different mindsets, whether it's draft a receiver, whether it's pay a receiver that's already on your team, whether it's try to acquire a receiver that is developed somewhere else. You've got a great young receiver in Justin Jefferson. How do you, and you're a year away from him even being eligible for a new contract, but how do you work through these various choices, these various doors that are available? It's like, well, let's make a deal game show. Where, where do you go with Justin Jefferson? Have you already identified this is a guy that we definitely want here in, into the future? Is it to be determined? Like, how, how do you reconcile what's happening in the NFL at the receiver position with the fact that you've got a great one right now that you're going to have to make some decisions about? Yeah, he, he's special, first and foremost. That, that's the first thing I knew. When you when you study these rosters for these job interviews, you get excited about working with a guy like that. Um, great Players like him are scarce. They, they, don't, they don't grow on trees, right? You could draft four times for the next four years in the first round, pick four receivers, and none of them would be as good as Justin Jefferson. So when you make these decisions, you want to make sure that you, you know, whether you just you make the decision to pay him, whatever you decide, make sure that you appreciate the, the likelihood of, replacing that kind of skill set so I don't want to speak you know at large or whatever and I've had conversations with Justin his agent I'll keep those conversations to, to us alone but when you're doing these conversations you think about the value of the player but also where you are as a team so if your team construct was in a place where maybe you're far away from winning maybe you'd make a different decision uh, we don't plan to be that way so I, I'm not trying to say that but I, I think every decision is kind of made and I, I People think about these decisions in isolation, but they're made as a part of a portfolio of decisions. And if you look at the decisions made in this offseason, I think you can you can tell that. You've got a unique situation in Minnesota when we consider the fact that there's a new coach and a new GM. But it seems like there's a lot of continuity on the roster, especially the starting lineup, both sides of the ball. What, what, what's your assessment and explanation of why there's been that? that continuity uh, when, you know, clearly the results weren't good enough to keep the last coach and GM employed. Sure. Yeah, that's understandable. You know, first and foremost, 
you look at every player, but every player is, is on, you know, some journey, right? Their, their, their play career or their play arc or whatever. So, you know, yes, a player, a second year player is the same player, but a second year player on average isn't going to be the same as a third year player. Typically there's growth, right? So in by definition, we look at our team, not as just a, some static thing, but what about we would be projected to be in 2022. So we'd like that a lot of our young players should get better, right? And should, should perform better. You know, those other spots, we try and see if they're going to sustain their 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 play, and so that's kind of where some of these these math things come into play, where you're you're making statistical decisions based on what you have. And if you look at where you are, you have two options, right? Uh, you can say, "Hey, we're either close to this championship threshold or not," and everybody is so quick to say that it's just tear it down, right? It's like the easiest thing to say in sports, but there's so many costs, there's so many things that go into that. You know, you I, I was talking to somebody else about the finals, you know, the potential NBA finals. Four months ago, everybody wanted the Celtics to trade their two best players, right? How many years did it take to build up the draft capital, all the development of those guys, snap judgment, let's trade their, or let's study study them. Are they close enough? Are there ways to improve some small things to make them good enough? And that's ultimately what they did. So ultimately, that's how we, we looked at our roster and said, hey, how far are we from where we want to go? Does this give us the best path? And I think you probably heard me talk about living in both worlds and competitive rebuilds. I think we're trying to do it in a way that we we think we're close enough to getting to that threshold, but doesn't give away the future, right? So it gives us an ability to do this over a, a longer term period. Um, but yeah, ultimately, there is no perfect equation. There's no perfect system. Uh, we're just kind of trying to make strategic, you know, probabilistic decisions that'll get us right where we want to go. But we do understand that there is a threshold of talent that we need to match. And ultimately, all the moves we made are in, in pursuit of getting to that level. And I would assume there's an element of human nature that needs to be taken into account and maybe resisted. The temptation to come in and put your own mark on something. The temptation to show that, yes, the last guys deserve to be fired because the players they had weren't good enough. So out with the old and in with the new because we're the new regime and we're bringing in our own guys. Was there a temptation to do that, that you had to resist? And when you realized, hey, I don't care why the record wasn't good enough. These guys are pretty damn good. And we're going to find a way to keep most of them around here. Yeah. You know, we talk about our pillars of our culture. Kevin and I we, we show up in these interviews and you have books or we both have our books. And one of the things we both had in our books was no ego, absence of ego. And so when I've been asked many times that you want to put your stamp on it, you know, to me, that's just the antithesis of what we're trying to build. This isn't about me. It's not even really about Kevin. It's about the Minnesota Vikings and what we're trying to build. Um, and again, we're trying to build the team that gets us in the dance and gives us a chance to, to win it all. So it's not about the guys that were here before us. And look, they were successful. I mean, look, uh, society has been this way where we have this binary definition of success. Either you won it or you didn't. I understand that. And I, and I, I accept that challenge, but they won a lot of games for a long period of time. So I, I, I'm not going to sit here and disparage them or, or their results. Uh, previously they've drafted a lot of good players here they've got a lot of great people in this building that i've come to um, ultimately our job is to try and take it to the next step you know we talk to kevin all the time there's there's 10 different plays that if they go a different way he doesn't have a ring right he shows up to this building in a different situation so how do you get yourself near it and somehow figure out a way to get those 10 plays to go your way that's all we're focused on man it's hard enough to do that job without focusing on you know what happened in the past but super appreciative of the people that came before us not, not, not really trying to talk about why we're here, but now that we're here, we're going to do everything in our power to do the best we can. And it's no surprise that toward the end, there was a lot of tension and dysfunction between the front office and the coaching staff. How important is it to you and Kevin O'Connell, the head coach, to ensure that 
And I, I, I use the metaphor of the old three-legged race. I don't even know that they do the three-legged race anymore, but basically you and he are together. You either thrive together or you fail together. How much of that is ingrained into your relationship? Yeah, it's everything. It's, it's literally everything. You know, I, when I started the interview process, I'll be honest, I don't know if insecurity is the word, but I'm such, I have such a unique path, right? And so to, to have a head coach who's worked his whole career to get his one chance and then to trust that chance with me, you know, I knew how momentous that was. So when I was in the interview, I wanted to make sure that they had time to ask me questions and, and really feel comfortable what they were getting into. Um, and so when I called Kevin to uh, offer him the job, you know, I said to him, hey, man, I'm only doing this once. Uh, we're coming in together. We're going out together. You hire a coach. You hire a problem solver. We're, we're a problem solving team. So if there's issues, it's our job to fix them together. There's no finger pointing. It's just what it's our job to kind of study them. And, and I believe in him and I know he believes in me. He says it all the time. That, and I'm, you know, if anybody could choose to do this job, um, he'd choose me. And that means the world to me. And I, I obviously going to work my, my butt off to not let him down. But we're, we're in this together. Um, I don't think you'll be showing any PFT headlines one day showing about how dysfunction. That's just not it's not how it's going to be or else I'm going to be a different a different body is going to be living in, in mine. One guy that's made a few headlines over the years at PFT is your starting quarterback, Kirk Cousins. And depending upon which Vikings fans you talk to, some would say glass half full, some would say glass half empty. What ultimately caused you to decide to at least work something out where you've got him around for the next two seasons instead of that one-year arrangement that you inherited? Why him for the next two years? Yeah, I mean, look, Kirk's a really good quarterback. I think, again, like I said earlier about this whole societal where things are binary, either you champion or you're not, either you're the goat or you're not. And I, I don't think that's really how you work, uh, how you successfully build teams. When you study historically, what wins the NFL? Yes, elite, like special quarterback play does matter, but there are other ways to win it. So what we try to do is first and foremost, get Kirk in the fold. I really, I had a presentation with him. I, 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 I Hey, you're, you're our partner in this. We're trying to build this thing to have you be the best version of yourself, Kevin and I. And once we do that, then we can maybe go back and reassess where we are. But we think the best version of him and surrounding him with other things gives us a really good chance. Ultimately, I can't sit here and tell you I know for certain what that's going to be. But we think that it gives us a great chance to be there at the end with a chance uh, to do it. And so obviously extending him gives us more time, right? A lot of that is just these things don't take off in, in one day, in one month. These are these are things that take a little. Now they've had exposure together before. And I think the last time Kevin coached him, I think it was all under the same situation where it was a one-year deal. And, and, and Kevin was like, look, I want to pour into this guy. I think he's one of the best quarterback guys I've ever been around. So I want to pour into this guy, see what the best he can be. And we'll see what happens in the end. But we thought that was the best, uh, best path. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Going forward. Before I let you go, and I appreciate you giving me so much time, this has really flown by. I want to ask you something that is going to be kind of a curveball, but it occurred to me as I was getting ready for this. You arrived in the NFL 2013 with the 49ers. And they had a pretty good quarterback at the time. That same year, Ron Jaworski on ESPN talking about how Colin Kaepernick could be one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game, created three days of content for ESPN to churn and churn and churn. The following year, huge contract given to Colin Kaepernick. You're working for the 49ers at the time it happens. And it's an old story. It bubbles up from time to time. It bubbled up earlier this year. It'll probably bubble up again at some point. From your perspective, since you have a unique firsthand or close to it perspective with Colin Kaepernick, what do you make? of why he plays with the 49ers from 2011 through 2016, and now five years later, silence, nothing. Why do you think it's gone on, and do you think it will end at some point and he'll get another opportunity in the NFL? That's a, that's a great ending question. There's a lot, uh, lot to unpack there. Uh, you know, look, I, I don't want to speak for Colin, um, so I can't speak to the time or the absence uh, of, you know, him being sort of on the scene. I can only talk about my time in the building with him. And I can tell you that, you know, I remember we played Green Bay on the road at Green Bay, my first year there. Uh, I forget how cold it was, but it's unbelievably cold. And it's pregame warmups. He comes out for the huddle and he flips off the jacket, short sleeves. And I never, I remember turning to whoever I was with and I was like, we're winning this game. And you talk about leadership and following somebody through something. That's where that stamped to me who he was. And I know that team, you know, they had a lot of great players in the team um, that he was around. I look at those times, I look back at those times just so fondly about those memories and things like that. I choose to think about that. I, I, I can't answer anything more because I don't, I don't know anything more. I know this as somebody who's played sports and still, you know, well, Texas old college teammate, how fun it was or whatever, you know, I miss saying, let's go with you and, you know, playing defense or whatever it is. I wish that everybody gets to go out on their own terms. And so if he does want to play, I, I do hope that, you know, it is able to happen for him. I know that th that's not always that easy in this world. It's not just simple. People want to play and, and things are like the world isn't that simple. But, you know, I, I'd say that'd be my only uh, wish. I hate to ask this one last question because I have been saying that more owners need to be asked this question and not nearly enough are. But have you considered bringing him in for a tryout, possibly offering him a contract and give him a chance to continue his career in Minnesota. So we, we do player evaluations. I would say it's exhaustive. So we consider everything. Um, so there is, and again, I don't want to name specific players, but we, we, we do an exhaustive approach to it. Um, if you don't have, you know, if you're not considering all the options out there, especially at a position like that, um, then you're, you're probably doing it wrong. So we have ongoing conversations all the time. Again, I don't want to be specific about whether it was him or anybody else. Uh, but, you know, that's our job in personnel to be open minded and creative about solutions and, and we'll continue to do so. Well, 
We appreciate so much your time. Congratulations on your success. Congratulations on the job. You mentioned that T-shirt. I may have one in my closet somewhere, but that's a topic for a different day altogether. <laughs> Good luck moving forward. And uh, we, we can't wait to see how things go for you this season. Appreciate it. Thank you. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.